I think there is truly only one answer. Quintessential road trip song. Who decided that the pencil should be yellow. Copper tone. The quintessential pair of sunglasses. The Puma Clyde or Ted's or Stan Smith. It is clearly the quintessential campfire snack. It's fondue. It's the <laughs> Twinkie. That's escargot. Oh, boy. <laughs> hello, 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 everybody. It is time for another episode of Smart Dribble. So if you're hearing this, that means you actively toggled on, flicked on, put things in your ears or strumming along in a car because you're listening to Smart Dribble. And this is Kurt Schneider. And John Ellenthal. And whether you got here by a pick or a scratch, doesn't matter to us. We're glad you're here. And when you said, hello, 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 it reminded me of a New York echo, which goes something like this. Hello! Shut the fuck up! <laughs> yeah, I've been on both sides of those echoes in New York. No doubt in my mind, Kurt. So we have a great topic for today, courtesy of my wife, Suzanne, who has a wonderful book called Quintessence, and it lists a number of products and things in our culture that are just the perfect example of something, of a category of things. It's just right. So it's the purest, most concentrated form of something. So we're going to pick a bunch of different categories, and you and I are going to opine of what we think the quintessential definition of that category is, what represents that category in its purest sense. Do you want to kick us off by a quintessential fill-in-the-blank? Yep. And I'm going to make this real easy for you and all of our listeners. John, what do you think is the quintessential cocktail? Okay, so this is the most predictable thing you've ever said. Yep. And that's saying something. And actually, in this one instance, I think you're actually right. I will bet anything and everything I own and care about on the quintessential cocktail, certainly from your vantage point, but probably also many other people's, as the gin martini. Boy, are you correct. We didn't say vodka martini. Now, I thought about this and I thought... Is it the perfect margarita? Is it a cold beer on a hot day? Is it a scotch with one big rock? Is it a Negroni? Oh boy, I love Negronis. But I think if we're talking about the category definition, the quintessential thing, object in this category, it is the gin martini. I think the book that I referenced earlier agrees with you. In fact, the first product in the book is the martini, I will read you the intro because it will probably titillate you, Kurt. The martini, crystal clear, chill, restorative, the queen of cocktails is as virtuous as a virgin spring. It is also a symbol of worldly wisdom and power. Not for nothing, it is the preferred drink of James Bond, though his insistence that it be shaken, not stirred, is capricious. The firmly spoken order, martini straight up, not too dry, cuts like an enchanted sword. Does that speak for you, Kurt? It does. Everyone agrees. So let's move on so that when we're done with this, I can make myself a gin martini. You know what? That sounded so good that I think I would like to have a martini after this as well. I am going to talk to you about a genre of movies 
in a specific period of time. And this came from a conversation I had with some colleagues earlier today, including a very big fan of Smart Dribble, Melanie Howley. We discussed the quintessential disaster movies of the 1970s. And we narrowed the list down to The Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, and Jaws. Now, if you remember Earthquake, you remember they wired the movie theater in something called Sensoround so that you could actually feel the earthquake when it happened? I'm guessing you don't because I, I read, do. I read micro expressions. No, the question I have for you, are those the only four things in a category? Because I, I think there's a different one, but that's okay. okay. Well, those are the only four that we thought of. So what else would you like to add before I tell you which one I think is the quintessential one? I think Bad News Bears 2. Okay, but that was a disaster movie using a different definition of disaster. But it was a disaster. You said to me, disaster movie. Okay, that's a disastrous movie. Would you like to discuss the Bad News Bears go to Japan? Or Beneath the Planet of the Apes? There are some oh, disasters. Yeah, that, that, was, that was too bad. When you ruin a franchise, it's a big problem. So the Poseidon Adventure, that's a big one. But I think you have to go with Jaws. And not only is it the quintessential horror movie or disaster movie of the 70s, it's also Melanie's favorite movie of all time. Well, I also think you're right. If you're going to be that strict definition that the Bad News Bears 2 cannot be disaster. But back to your point, John, I'll agree with you on Jaws because I think it is a universal fear. Everyone has been swimming or on a boat. Not everyone's been, you know, in a cruise ship for Poseidon Adventure or part of Earthquake or one of these other things. So I think it is something that lurks inside everyone. So I'll give you a different category myself now. Okay. What do you think is the quintessential road trip song? Oh, my goodness. I'll give you some thoughts I have. All right, please do. I'm going to need a, a list here. Well, one that you would think that a lot of people would say is On the Road Again by Willie Nelson. Okay. That seems editorially tight. Traveling Band by CCR. 737 coming out of the sky. Would you take me down to Memphis on a midnight ride? I want to move. Great song. Rambling Man, Almond Brothers. Nice. Sweet Home Alabama, people put in when they're getting on a road trip. Yeah. But I thought of all those. And for me, the quintessential road trip song is The Weight by the band. Okay. You want to sing that one too? I rode into Nazareth, was feeling about half past dead. I just need some place where I can lay my head. Hey, mister, can you tell me where a man might find a bed? He just grinned and shook his hand. There's no way we can fix this in post-production, Kurt. It's just going to have to be that. It is, you know, take a load off, Fanny. Take I think a load it's a great you. choice. I don't have a song to add to it, but I'm a little surprised given your lifelong love affair with the Eagles that you didn't choose Hotel California. Oh, boy. So the reason why the weight makes it is he, this guy goes through all these different things on his trip and he sees Carmen and the devil walking side by side. He's got to help this guy with his dog, Jack. He's got all these different things going on. So I think it is a quintessential road trip song. Plus, uh, everyone loves to sing along to it. Yeah, I think it's an excellent choice. I just don't know if it's recognized culturally as the definition that I the purest form. If there are a lot of choices that are shared by a lot of people, then we don't have. Let me give you an example. If I said to you, pencils, and you gave me any other answer besides the Faber-Mongol 
number two pencil, I would be blown away, right? Because it is the category killer. Now, there are other pencils like Ticonderoga and things like that. But Faber Mongol number two pencil is the quintessential pencil. In fact, it was that pencil, the guy who created that pencil, who decided that the pencil should be yellow. And that is also now the quintessential color, don't you think? Of a pencil. Absolutely. If you Absolutely. see a if you see a pencil that's not yellow, it it's just I mean it's fine, but it's not the pencil. I have a question for you. How many coats of paint do you believe the yellow Faber Mongol number two pencil gets before it's shipped and sold? Well, I'm a nibbler on pencils and pens. I've gotten better over time, but I used to eat them nonstop. And I got a lot of that paint chips in my mouth. So I would say eight layers of paint. They take great care here to avoid it chipping or splintering, but I don't think many pencils could made of soft wood could withstand the human jaw. 13 coats of paint on the yellow pencil. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Are you the kind of person who bites off the eraser, Kurt? No, I don't touch the eraser. It reminds me of Charlie Brown, didn't he fall in love with that little girl with the something hair and her pencil dropped once? And Marcy? He him, no, it wasn't Marcy. His pencil dropped and uh, she didn't have a name. He picked it up, her pencil, and there were her teeth marks in it. And he was in love with that. Well, you know what? It sounds like you and Charlie Brown have a lot more in common than I originally thought. By the way, it takes five pounds of pressure to pull the eraser off with your teeth. I have pulled it off, but I don't nibble on the eraser. But all right, I well, that's good off. to know. I mean, I think we've all learned something about you today that, you know, that makes us all feel closer to you. So that's a win. But that's an incontrovertible, pure, that is the pencil. The first magic trick we all did was when we made your pencil look like it was made out of rubber. Okay, so what do you think is the quintessential writing instrument? That? Perhaps the fountain pen, although that's probably gone out of style. There's a fountain pen. There's the feather. <laughs> yeah, but I think, obviously, what is deemed quintessential changes as time goes by. I would go with a ballpoint pen, blue ink, medium. Might be a Bic. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the Bic pen, from an American standpoint, at least, is probably the quintessential pen. Everything has become so specialized, and there are, there are product extensions ad infinitum now. But when you and I were growing up, the quintessential suntan lotion was what? Coppertone. Coppertone, exactly. Remember those ads of the little girl and all that kind of stuff with the dog nipping at her? But Coppertone was suntan lotion. The Lacoste shirt was the polo shirt, right? The, Give me another category. World leader. The quintessential world leader. You want to define an era because that's definitely changed over time. Nope. Go ahead. In history. Let me, let me, oh, in history. Yeah. Um, Alexander the Great. Yep. The guy with the Mongols. What's Genghis Khan. Genghis yep. Khan. Charlemagne. Would Caesar make the list? Yep. Constantine. So you're good on all these, but in my mind, there's one. Quintessential. Please. And again, I applaud you for saying what period of time. Because for this time, for these five years, this guy represented and did things that made him the quintessential definition of the category world leader. 
and I'm talking of Winston, Winston Churchill. Churchill. 1940 to 1945, in those five years, he saved the Western world. He saved democracy. One man was responsible for it. I have no quibbles with Winston Churchill because of the stakes and the fortitude and the, or, the ability to persuade and inspire and soothe with his rhetoric. I have a book of Winston Churchill's speeches. Me too. Ready for this one, which is probably his most famous, but boy, it actually is as true today as it was in 1940. Okay. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. This gives us more depth as to why you chose Winston Churchill, if I recall correctly, as one of your dinner party guests back around episode 10 or 11. I believe you invited him to our dinner party. So that's a little callback. If you haven't heard the dinner party episode, I can say that is among our favorites, Kurt, right? We're going to read episode 11. Kurt, the quintessential pair of sunglasses. Ray-Ban Wayfarers. You're very close. And when we were growing up, there were Varnays and Wayfarers and the Ray-Ban Aviators. The Stray Cats were very popular, which only reinforced the Wayfarers. But I believe that the, as you just said, the Ray-Ban Aviator is the quintessential pair of sunglasses. And it, it goes back to the early 1900s. In fact, you know, since the 1930s, American flyers, Air Force folks, have been wearing them as they fly off into the wild blue yonder. And during World War II, all Ray-Bans produced went exclusively for military use. Awesome. And, then, and then you put that on someone's face and you realize that MacArthur, he wore the Tom Cruise in Top Gun, wore them, paying homage to the flyboy history. And now you have the president, Joe Biden, who I believe wears those as well. Not only are they the quintessential sunglasses, but they have been an enduring quintessential sunglass since the 1930s. Why do I feel like Steve McQueen wore them too in movies, right? I wouldn't be surprised if Steve McQueen wore them. In fact, let's just say that he does. Oh, some other little fun fact about the earlier versions of the Aviator. They actually were filled with 12 karat gold when they were originally made. So if you have an old pair, Kurt, you might want to hang on to them. Right now, they're just gold-plated on the account of the cost of gold. I think I got many of the rip-off pairs you could buy in the gas station for, you know, five bucks that the arms fell off very quickly and they looked too big on your face. Yeah, those were not the, the real essential version. So let's stick with that category, fashion, and something else. What's the quintessential sneaker? First thing that comes to my mind is the Chucky e. Tees, the Converse Chucky e. Tees. 100% agree. I thought about this and I thought, could it be Air Jordans? Could For it a be. Generation, it probably is, Kurt. The Puma Clyde or Keds or Stan Smiths. Or the Adidas Thumbas. But always come back to Chuck Taylors. In fact, all basketball players used to wear these. And by the way, if you ever put a, and it's got to be high top Chuck Taylors. And if you put them on, those canvas sides are not too supportive. I don't know why they didn't roll more ankles, but absolutely Chuck Taylors. In fact, I wore a pair of red high top Chuck Taylors through Europe for two weeks in 1986. Yeah. Could I have looked more American? No. 
I don't think he was the sneakers, my friend. <laughs> How about the Hershey's Kiss? That's a quintessential product, isn't it? So that's an interesting thing because I was thinking about that category too of candy and yeah. quintessential. I thought of that. I thought of Butterfinger. I thought of Snickers. Yeah, I don't think those are great. I don't think they occupy the same. They're not in the pantheon. They're in one level below the pantheon. I think the Hershey's Kiss, its shape, its simplicity, its wrapping, the fact that it's been around since the early 1900s, I think that is a quintessential candy. All right. I would have said Reese's candy. I think you could make a case. Peanut butter cup. I think you could totally make a case for that. I also think you mentioned in earlier episodes the perfection of the M&M. Yes. And how it was originally created as a ration for the troops because it didn't melt if you were on tour in Africa during World War II. I think M&M's is up there as a quintessential American candy. So let's stay with food. Okay. Quintessential, we've said quintessential American sneaker, sunglass, candy, because we're Americans, we'll keep going. Quintessential American food. And it really, there's only, I think there's only three choices, right? It's fondue. It's the Twinkie, <laughs> it's the Twinkie and it's escargot. I think you get a lot of people who would say the s'mores, the s'more, which is, I believe, uniquely American, has a place among the quintessential. It is clearly the quintessential campfire snack. So maybe the Hershey's bar, chocolate bar, instead of the kiss could have been that one. I don't think it's instead of. I, I think the, the candy bar is different than the candy kiss. It's a bite size versus a multi-bite thing. I'm going to draw a distinction between the number of bites it takes to consume something. I think the Hershey's bar is as quintessential a candy bar as we've got. And for me, that's more so than, than either Butterfingers or Snickers, which are clearly enormously popular. Agreed. So what is the quintessential American food? I think we have three that we can choose from among. You know, I think fondue was probably, it's a quintessential symbol of the 70s. Yeah. And of of people in Switzerland yeah, and Austria where they have out. So how about, I'll give you three, the hot dog, pizza, the cheeseburger or hamburger. Of those, I would go with the, I think I would go with the hot dog very, very narrowly over pizza. Funny. And I would have said the hamburger or cheeseburger because it represents America. Yeah, I think they both do. I think it's hard to separate and parse hot dogs and hamburgers when you're talking about their place in American food culture. I'll give you- Certainly a- hot dogs in an arena is the quintessential arena food. Yeah, it's the quintessential, just like the quintessential fair food would be- Cotton candy. I think it's the, yeah, I think cotton candy would be on the list of possibilities. I think corn dogs would. I think funnel cakes would. I think footlong chili dogs would, cotton candy. But I think the corn dog is probably the quintessential fair food. And Cracker Jacks, baseball, popcorn, movies. But I would say cheeseburger for overall quintessential American food, just because it represents America in all of its layers. Right. So any one of those, I think you could make a strong case for. But in this next category of food, I think there is truly only one answer. And that's the ultimate quintessential kind of thing. What is the quintessential hors d'oeuvre? So easy. Yeah. Pigs in a blanket. That's it. There's no <laughs> debate there, is there? None. Just like Levi's, even though the world has changed quite a bit, 
you know, in the last 20, 30 years with jeans. But Levi's was the unquestioned, quintessential, only choice for blue jeans. All right. You got one? Who is the quintessential villain? Like Hitler kind of thing? Are you talking about fiction? Well, I think both. I think so. I'll give you a couple. We can decide that when I was thinking about this. We've discussed this before. The quintessential movie villain for me is not the Wicked Witch who absolutely scared the crap out of me as a kid. But that child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang probably is deep in my subconscious today, scaring the crap out of me still. So, and you also have Darth Vader and you got Voldemort. You got excellent. I think Hitler has got to be number one or number two. I I think you're tied here between Hitler and the devil. (laughs) Okay. I'm okay with that tie. They kind of define the category, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, just like Ray-Ban aviators and and pigs in a blanket, to some questions, there's just one answer that stands above, clearly stands above all the other answers. And I have another one for you. Another no-brainer, only one choice. What is the quintessential board game, Kurt? Life? I'm kidding. Yahtzee? No. Candyland? Monopoly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is there another board game that exemplifies the category of board games? Checkers. So I think that's up there too. So I know you know this answer, but the game of Monopoly has a bunch of street names and other things on it from what city in the United States? Atlantic City. That is correct. So in addition to Monopoly, Kurt, Atlantic City is also responsible for another quintessential American iconic entertainment show, which Saltwater Taffy, which fortunately has lost its luster. And that is the Miss America pageant started in Atlantic City as well. A lot going on in Atlantic City. It's a great song, by the way. Bruce Springsteen. And the band does a great version of it as well. Does Um, the Eagles cover that? I hope not, but maybe they did with Jackson Brown. What about, I'm going to flip what I said before. We talked about the quintessential villain. Who is the quintessential hero? Do you have a... Well, here's the thing. This guy, and I'm sure you've either read or seen this guy, Joseph Campbell, who his whole big thing is the hero's journey. That's right. And what he talks about is all these phases that heroes go through. And if you look and define those, Mother Teresa fits that category. Joe Lewis fits that category. Yeah, which is why I don't know if there is a quintessential hero. The world has many heroes. So I took a English class my junior year in high school, and it was about heroes in literature. And for about a week, I argued against the entire class, much to the teacher's delight or shock, I'm not sure which, where I argued that there was only one hero ever and all other heroes are all just fakes up against this guy. You piqued my interest. Odysseus. He was a hero. There's no question. No flaws. You know, some people think his flaw was he was too clever for his own good. But this guy was the quintessential definition of a hero. Everyone else has fatal flaws. Achilles had his Achilles, right? Yes, he did have a fatal flaw. Batman has his stuff, right? He's got his angst from when he was Bruce Wayne. Everyone's got their own stuff. So I'm a big fan of the Odyssey. And so I like that choice very much. Can you tell me when he was obviously trying to get home from the Trojan War and it took him 10 years to get home? Can you tell me what home was? 
the name of his home? Yes, of course. Okay. It was in Macedonia today, but back then it was all considered the same thing. So it was right on the Aegean Sea. Do you know the name of the place? Yes, of course. I'll give you a hint. Where is Cornell University? Oh, yeah. Ithaca, of course. Yes. Do you remember his wife, who he was trying to get home to all those years? Of course I do. Penelope. And yes. you know, I didn't have any daughters, but that's a fun name, Penelope. Do you think that Penelope was, wasn't that Penelope Pit Stop in uh, Go Speed Racer? And so you're going to ask me if there's any relationship there? I'm sure there is. Yeah. I would say to you that I would opine that Speed Racer and constantly doing his racing was trying to get home to Penelope Pit Stop. So therefore, all of Speed Racer is just a homage to the Odyssey. Look, I wouldn't be surprised because as you mentioned, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, there are tropes that all stories are told on. There are archetypal stories and there aren't an infinite number of them. So there's rags to riches, there's wrong side of the tracks, there's fish out of water. We have these tropes that some people believe are just sort of carved into our brains and is shared universally across humanity. So the job of a storyteller is basically to reinterpret that story in some novel way. And so it's Everything not a surprise derivative. that these stories, we continue to see the same stories unfold, although with different characters and different circumstances. So the only original stories then in the last 2000 years, because everything's derivative, would be The Far Side by Gary Larson, I guess. I've got a couple of no-brainers I'd like to throw at you. Good, because we need to wrap up soon. So give right. it to me. The quintessential canned soup. Campbell's tomato. Correct. I mean, correct or not correct, I agree with you. Warhol did too. How about, what do you think the quintessential cookie is? Chocolate That's chip cookie, one. Toll House. Nestle's Toll House chocolate chip cookie. I would have that as one of two candidates, and I don't know the answer. I think the other would be the Oreo. Sorry, it's Nestle's Toll House cookie. All right, my last one for you, which is another unarguable. What is the quintessential motorcycle? Indian. What you talking I'm kidding. about? kidding. Harley Davidson. Oh, boy. <laughs> All Indian right. motorcycles well, have made a comeback. They're pretty good, but the quintessential is, of course, uh-huh. Harley Davidson. What is the All quintessential right. tattoo? Mom. Right. <laughs> uh, this has been fun. I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode discussing all of these quintessential fill in the blanks. Kurt and I will be back next week with another new episode of Smart Dribble. And I have confirmed that episode 11 was indeed the dinner party, which Kurt and I both highly recommend. Kurt, do you have any final words? Give us your thoughts on quintessential, please. This, the fun thing about these categories is there, it should be an interactive podcast. Give us thoughts back because we need it. Argue with us. Tell us we're idiots. We love it all. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everybody. See you next week.